0: Caitlin Burns is the federal policy reporter for Rewire.News, where she covers the US Congress, including legislation and federal policy issues. Previously, she was a freelance journalist covering breaking transgender news for them.us, as well as bylines for The Washington Post, Vice, The Establishment, Allure, and many others. Caitlin was also a reporting fellow for Everyday Feminism, writing a series on toxic call-out culture in online activist spaces in addition to a series on the trials and tribulations faced by trans people in accessing employment. She's a parent and is based in Washington, D.C. Hello, uh, Miss Caitlin. It's so wonderful to have you here with us today for Feminifesto. Thank you so much for being here.
1: Thank you for having me. I appreciate having uh, the opportunity to chat with you.
0: Oh, thank you. Um, So let's start right at the top. What got you into journalism and writing?
1: Oh gosh, Uh, so um, it's kind of funny. Uh, It started in therapy actually. (laughs) Um, So it was the beginning of 2016 and I was uh, making preparations to start my gender transition Um, and I'd been seeing a therapist for uh, I would say four or five months and we were not quite at the point where I was ready to to like start coming out to um, my immediate family members or a lot of my friends, um, but I had a lot of uh, thoughts and feelings about my own gender, my own life, gender in general. Um, so my therapist encouraged me to keep a journal. And instead of journaling, <laughs> I decided to write an essay and put it on Medium. Um, and the essay at at the time was, um, it was about sort of how my life intersected with, um, you know, being transgender and closeted and how, you know, I was, um, struggling with, uh, my weight and the the internalized fat phobia that came along with it. Um, And I didn't know what to expect out of this. I just sort of wrote it and put it online and I expected like maybe five or 10 people to read it and never write anything again. And uh, the first day that it was up, the post got 3000 reads, which is, you know, (laughs) really good for a nobody, Um, it's really good for anybody, but especially somebody who who sort of hadn't done this before. Um, So uh, I decided to try writing another essay and I wrote about growing up as an athlete and how sort of perceptions of gender roles when it comes to sports, Impacted me as a young child who enjoyed playing sports, but also suffered from gender dysphoria and how like people don't typically um, Associate, you know, younger trans girls with being athletes. So I wrote this essay and I put it on medium again and at the time um, Sports Illustrated had an affiliation with a medium publication and they asked to republish it and everything just sort of took off from there so I mean at that point I was having professional writers reach out to me saying you should be getting paid for this like you shouldn't be just offering up your words for free because they're so good and you know here I am like I'm I hadn't started hormones yet I was writing under a pseudonym mostly so that my wife at the time wouldn't find out that I was writing these things um and uh And I had no idea what I was doing. Um, And and it wasn't too much longer after that that I sort of officially started the process of transitioning and coming out to my family and then the subsequent divorce. But through it all, I just kept writing. Um, I started off with small sort of feminist leaning publications. I did a little bit of sports writing. And I sort of graduated from personal essays to, you know, personal essays that are tagged to like a news event into, you know, a personal essay that featured an interview with somebody else. And I just sort of graduated from there into really serious, hardcore reporting. And now I'm the the first and only openly trans Capitol Hill reporter um, in U.S. history. So it's kind of... (laughs) been a wild ride
2: (laughs) wow that sounds like quite some journey and thank you so much for sharing so much of it so candidly I can imagine that you know when we're talking about it belatedly we're also talking about a lot of things um, that take away all those moments of pain in between so um, I'm sure it's been it's been a tremendous journey definitely But, but in this time you've actually done so many different kinds of uh, pieces. You've written for the Washington Post, for Vice, for the establishment, and now with rewire.news. Mm-hmm. So could you tell us a little bit about your experience so far working on different portfolios and different kinds of writing
1: this so far? Yeah, um, so uh, when I first started freelancing, I, I sort of existed in this zone where I was like writing almost exclusively about trans issues, but I was working for a very, very small publication that did um, sports writing about soccer. So there was that. So it wasn't exclusively trans issues. And then at some point I just became like too big for that small website, even though I loved and adored everybody there. Um, And I sort of got pigeonholed into just writing about trans issues. Like I'd, I'd make pitches to write about other topics and editors just weren't receptive. So if you look at my time as a freelancer, like you mentioned the Washington Post, I've written for them three times. All three of those pieces were about trans issues and, you know, 90% of my freelance portfolio 95% are about trans issues, Um, which, you know, I'm very passionate about it. So on the one hand, you know, I don't necessarily mind doing that work, but I also didn't want to be pigeonholed as A writer, as you know, um, the quote-unquote trans writer, Um, and uh, I probably should have had more forethought when I chose my Twitter handle because it's transcribe, uh, so which literally means trans writer. Um, But you know, there there were other issues that I wanted to also dive into that I was really passionate about um first and foremost reproductive freedom um I think you know people look at me and they say well why do you care so much about like abortion access and I'm you know I'm thinking well so they would say why do you care so much about this like you'll never need an abortion which is true uh but I also believe in bodily autonomy um and that impacts me personally as well, you know, as, as people who are born with uteruses. Um, and I care about med- being able to access medicine and medical treatments that, you know, politicians disagree with. If, if people can remove access to abortion care, they can certainly take my hormones away with the stroke of a, of a pen, you know. Um, so I think the two issues are much more related than most people think about at first blush. Um, so that's what sort of led me to apply for the job at Rewire. I had done some freelancing for them before, and I would worked with their politics editor, who's now my immediate supervisor, um, Ali Bogan, who's fantastic, um. And uh, so um, we, uh, we they ended up hiring me. Um, they took a chance on me. I hadn't written about abortion before or reproductive issues before. And I, I think so far they've been very happy with my work. And then the people who are within the reproductive justice movement. Who I've gotten feedback from have said I've been doing a really good job, and, and that's really important for me um, because I see the way that you know people who are not trans write about trans issues and how they you know go about responding to feedback about their work, and um, you know I, I want to emulate the people who I think do that the right way and. Um, uh, <laughs> sorry. Um, I'm very pleased that that so far people have liked my work and I'm, you know, I'm committed to maintaining that that high standard.
0: That That's an incredible journey that you've been through, you know, from just writing on Medium and having so much reception for your first piece to now writing for such um, really big publications. It's amazing. And I'm in awe of your courage and Your journey and just how amazing you've been through it all. Thank you so much for everything that you do. Thank you. Um, So, can you share with us some of the stories that you're most proud of?
1: Oh, gosh. Uh, There's a story that I wrote in, I think it was at the end of 2017, um, and it's the only piece that I ever wrote for a publication called Splinter News. Um, And it's called what happens when your childhood gender transition is in Google searches forever? Um, And I think that that piece for me, uh, it's one of the longest pieces that I've written. Um, and, And what I did with the piece was I looked into people who had transitioned as children and are now adults and sort of what are the privacy implications for like media coverage of their transition um and and I did a lot of work on this piece on this piece excuse me, I probably spent i don't know six to eight months working on this piece um, but it was you know I looked at how sort of the stories of trans kids and that you know, first, like nobody gave out any names at all. It was always, you know, my child, like they withheld their name for privacy reasons. And then it got into well, they're using a first name, but it, it's a pseudonym. And then it, it sort of graduated, the coverage graduated into here's their first name, but they're withholding their last name and eventually it got to the point where um, they were using the full name of these children. And I questioned how much input the children had in the actual process and whether or not they could understand the potential privacy concerns later on down the line. So I spoke with several people, um, several trans people and their parents as to how they approached you know media coverage of their child's transition. I talked with a reporter from Texas who's been reporting a lot of um, stories about the trans families that are, you know, showing up to advocate against the Texas bathroom bill, for example. Um, and we sort of had a really complicated um, ethical discussion about, about all of this. And I think the way that that piece came out, uh, I, I'm, I'm really proud of because it's sort of a nuanced conversation. And my conclusion is, I don't know what the right answer is. You know, I tried to just give as much information as I could without necessarily having a thesis to it. So that piece comes to mind immediately. Um, the, there's a piece that I wrote over the summer that was about um, a bill that Senator Kamala Harris had introduced in the U.S. Senate about um, trying to overcome the uh, racial disparities in the U.S. Um, maternal mortality rate. So basically um, what studies have shown is that that black mothers in the U.S. are four times more likely to die from pregnancy-related health issues than peers in other sort of uh, racial groups. Um, and that was the reason that piece also comes to mind is because it was my first time writing about um, about, about the issue and I, I was really nervous to get it right to begin with. Um, I ended up speaking with, uh, gosh, six or seven people for the piece. I think four of them ended up being quoted in the piece itself, um, but you know, it, got, ended up, it ended up getting a really good response, which I was really happy with. Um, and again, those are those times where like, these are issues that I won't have personal experience with. Um, so it's important to me that, that I get it right, but that's another one that comes to mind. <laughs> that's
2: actually incredibly empowering because even though they're not, Personal experiences, what I'm hearing is there's such a high level of empathy and there's a sense of understanding of what it feels like um, that, that's allowing you to write this. And you, you write so beautifully, um, having consumed your pieces as somebody halfway across the world from you. Uh, I've learned so much. So, first of all, thank you for the emotional labor you put in six to eight months to write a piece. That's, that's tremendous amounts of emotional labor. Yeah. Um, but one of the other pieces that you've written that that have stood out for me is your work with um, um, access to employment for trans people and the kind of obstacles they face, mm-hmm. uh, which I I do understand is um, is something we share in common both here in India as well as the United States, and I'm sure other countries do as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so could you maybe talk a little bit about your experience in that space and about writing those stories?
1: Yeah, um, I think you're referencing probably um, my work at Everyday Feminism, if I had to guess. Yeah, okay. So I wrote a series for Everyday Feminism that was about um, just the various issues that trans people face in employment in the United States uh, and also the UK a little bit. Um, It's something that um, I have uh, personal experience with. I transitioned while I had a full-time job at a bank I was the first person in my company to transition genders um, and you know I had good and bad experiences with that um, so you know it's um it's something that that I believe in very deeply you know this story needs to be told and and, and I think that the thing that I wish that people would realize is that the reasons why trans people are excluded from employment opportunities are the same reasons why cisgender people are also excluded from their their jobs. And um, there's one piece in particular for everyday feminism that I wrote that sort of covered the legal ground of employment law, employment discrimination law. And the United States is sort of in this position where the court's agree that trans people are protected with sex-based employment protections rights, Um, but the government, the current government at least, doesn't believe it. Um, They disregard uh, previous case law. Uh, There's currently a case being considered by the Supreme Court. We're not sure if they're going to take it up where they're going to determine if trans people have any sex-based rights at all or whether they're just gonna render us legally sexless I don't know um but the the foundation of the rulings that have taken place that are you know pro trans people and their employment rights are cases based on when you know where cisgender people made these lawsuits 20 years ago so the the case that comes to mind is price waterhouse uh the case there was there was a um There was a a cis woman who um, did not conform to feminine stereotypes. She didn't wear skirts to work. She didn't wear makeup to work. She didn't, uh, you know, she talked rough, you know, like, quote, unquote, men do. Um, And uh, she was denied a promotion at Price Waterhouse, which is, I think, an accounting firm, um, because she didn't conform to those stereotypes and they told her you know you can have this promotion if you start wearing skirts every day and the supreme court ruled that that is sexual that's sex discrimination that's sex-based discrimination so like when these courts are looking at it it's um you know if we can't make a cis woman wear, wear a skirt we can't prevent a trans woman from you know wearing a skirt like your employment decisions cannot be based on anything sex or gender related and you can't exclude um, trans people without taking any of those factors into consideration. Um, so it's it's something that I'm very personally uh, um, motivated to try to advocate for. And if you look at the um, employment The state of employment Uh, for trans people in the United uh, States—it's—it's not great. You know, trans women of color um, are like three hundred percent more likely than you know their cisgender counterparts to be unemployed, and that's just a statistic that I cannot accept. Sorry, I'm playing catch with my cat. (laughs)
0: Um, Thank you so much for sharing that. And the example that you gave, I think, you know, it's, it's perfect. It describes the political situation right now perfectly. And, you know, you're working as a federal policy reporter at a difficult time for the United States, and we can see that must be very challenging. So what's keeping you motivated during this time of political upheaval?
1: Um, Well, it's actually kind of funny because I'm on medical leave right now after a surgical procedure, uh, so I have absolutely no motivation whatsoever uh, (laughs) at this current point, but um, actually that's not true. You know, I still am following the news, um, and I just get really, really upset when I see things that... Our injustices um, and those are still happening even though our government right now is is in the middle of a shutdown. Um, I think um, I think rage is a good motivator (laughs) Uh, so I I operate from that Um, and you know I'm also very professionally ambitious so you know there's always going to be that that drive no matter what the state of our government is. Um, I always want to get better., <laughs>
2: I think your um, professionally ambitious side i mean this this whole conversation that we're having speaks to that. Um, you're on medical leave and you've still given us time to talk about your work I and mean, that's that really speaks to the political ambition that you have. Um, sorry, professional ambition that you have. but um. So I'm going to ask you something that you're very free to tell us um, you don't want to answer and I understand completely, but, um, and because we don't want to trigger you on any account, but to the extent you're comfortable, would you like to share with us um, any instances of pushback you've received for the work you do? I can imagine there must be quite a bit being the first transgender person working in this portfolio right now. Yeah.
1: Um, and
2: and only if you're comfortable sharing. <sighs>
1: um yeah, I mean, I've dealt with negative comments on my work since that first piece, you know, the first fat phobia piece, uh, you know, uh, way back when. <coughs> um, you know, sometimes it gets to the point where I just need to take a break from the world. Um you know, and it's slightly unrelated, but I'm taking a, a break from Twitter right now and it's not, it doesn't have anything to do with my work. Um, it doesn't have anything to do with criticism or harassment for my work. I just needed a break from people and, um, you know, I'm starting a, a book project that I really need to focus on and, and this is a really unique time for me to be able to take time off from social media. but. You know i i do get a lot of comments uh, especially on twitter there's a lot of people who um you know just attack me just because i'm a trans woman and there's a lot of people who attack me because they think that i'm the downfall of civilization personified which is sort of ridiculous to me like i'd love to have that power but i don't have it um (laughs) so (laughs) You know, it's, uh, I've taken steps over the years to sort of limit what I can see of those comments um, on Twitter. Specifically, I can only see what people who follow me are saying in reply to me, Um, so I don't, you know, I miss a lot of of the worst stuff, or I have to go looking for the worst stuff. Uh, You know, uh, rewire.news does not have a... um, comment section. So we sort of avoid that. And quite frankly, I don't, <laughs> I, I can see why they don't have one given the topics that we cover. Um, so it's, uh, you know, I, I I don't know how to explain how I deal with this stuff other than like, I just have gotten to the point where I'm used to negative comments and it really doesn't affect me all that often. Uh, I think my favorite my favorite comment on any of my articles was I wrote about um, Texas high school athletes, uh, trans athletes, and how the state was making them uh, compete according to the, their biological sex. And this created a problem because this trans boy who's on testosterone was just wrecking all these girls in wrestling and I'm like of course if you have a person who's do- testosterone dominant of course they're gonna like dominate right like it's not this isn't the solution that you want and I wrote about it in the Washington Post and the first comment on the piece was once I saw that this was written by Caitlin Burns I knew it was bullshit <laughs> I think that's my favorite and uh, you know I sort of embrace the hate in that case like Maybe I'll get that tattooed on my body at some point.
2: <laughs> so I tried to put a humorous spin on it. That was, that was so beautiful. It was so empowering to say I, that.
0: I know, right? I was just going to say, like, I've never seen anyone take criticism in such a positive and humorous manner. It's so amazing. <laughs>
1: I mean if people are complaining that means I'm doing it I'm doing it right so
0: definitely right yeah <laughs> um i'm very sorry to hear about all these negative comments that you re- receive and it it can't be easy to deal with them on a daily basis and you know despite how well you you do try to take them i'm sure that it does get to you at one point mm-hmm. um but it's also at the same time very evident that you've been very resilient and courageous throughout these kind of negative comments. And we're really happy that you keep going and that you keep writing. Um, so thank you for that.
1: Thank you. Can
0: Always. you tell us some of the current projects that you're working on right now?
1: Um, so uh, we're we're obviously monitoring what the government's doing. Um, we're expecting a couple of rules to possibly come out next week. I just saw that um, the Federal Register made it easy for the Trump administration to release rules during the shutdown. Uh, We're we're not quite sure what the legality is on that. um, Because it it might let them cut corners, which might be the whole point in the first place. Uh, But it's not something that I'm necessarily wholly focused on because I'm still on leave. But, uh, you know, as soon as I get back, there's no you know, there's no uh, reinitiation period, I need to jump back into my work. So, you know, I, I want to be ready, you know, uh, when February 4th comes around and I go back to work, but um, I am working on a project uh, in my spare time, uh, this book project I mentioned previously, and I can't really go into too much detail because we haven't laid out a lot of detail on it, but, um, I'm very excited uh, to possibly move into the the, the book world. It's uh, um, something that I've aspired to even before I was a writer. I've wanted to write a book. So it's something that I'm very excited about. Um, hopefully <laughs> finding success there. Well,
2: I'm certain there's going to be success there. And regardless, there are two Indian women just waiting for that book to come out. Um, I mean, I, I just personally like the idea of, of carrying a piece of Caitlin Burns' works in my bag, whatever I do. So
0: <laughs> oh, I love you that. Already have,
2: <laughs> you already have two buyers, don't you? Really? <laughs> so just to sort of um, close up, um, if there's any advice you would like to give to
1: writers,
2: whether that's political writing or just writers in general
1: around the world, what would that be? I would say, um, so two pieces of advice, one is be fearless, Um, you know, if you're afraid of writing something that means it probably should be written. Um, And the second thing is find what you're passionate about and write about that because passion shows through in your words, no matter what it is you're writing about. And and you don't have to be writing about super heavy, you know, topics like I do, like abortion and trans rights or, you know, um, the other things that I cover, the government, you can just, you know, it could be, if you're passionate about, you know, video games or movies or anything like that passion will show through. So be fearless and write about what you're passionate about and you'll probably be okay.
0: Can I just say that I love the first advice, the being fearless one, because I think it's so so true, right? And like you said, if it's something that people are probably gonna be talking about, that means you should be writing about it and starting conversations and discussions about it. Mm
1: -hmm. Definitely.
2: And that's exactly what you've been doing. It's <laughs> yeah, amazing. we've been talking about things that so many people are uncomfortable about even thinking about, even not talking mm-hmm. about. So, yeah. Thank you. So, thank you so much for a wonderful conversation. It was beautiful having you with us. The Feminifesto podcast it was. Uh, I wish we could have podcasts that just stretched on forever. We could just keep talking to you all the time. <laughs> But we're very excited for all the writing you're going to do, your book, um, and more than anything else, just the experience of reading you and um, learning from you through it all. So thank you, Caitlin, for all the work you do and for who you are.
1: Thank you so much for having me. This has been a lot of fun, and I don't think I've ever been um interviewed on an Indian podcast before, so you can have the first.
0: <laughs>
2: yeah, we love that. we love
1: it on
0: yeah that. that's a great honor. <laughs>
1: <laughs> totally. Yeah, I mean have me on, you know, anytime. This has been great.
0: Thank you so much. All the best with
2: everything you set out to do.
1: Thank you. Thank you.